Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for October 24th, 2017. This is Peter Sorata, and on today's show, we're going to talk about a bunch of news, including a War for the Planet of the Apes deleted scene, a Nevermore movie, uh, Thor Ragnarok box office tracking, a Door of the Explorer movie from Michael Bay, of all people, and a Logan spinoff film is now in development. And in the mailbag, we'll be talking about performances you can't imagine any other actor or actress playing. Uh, joining me on today's podcast are Huay Tran Bui. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hello. How's it going, guys? Good, good. <laughs> nothing to write home about, I guess. <laughs> yeah, there hasn't been a, a ton of news going on. There, There's that Star Wars featurette that came online. There isn't anything big out of that. But if you have not seen it, head over to SlashFilm.com and watch th- that featurette. It features Ryan Johnson fanboying out as he walks into the Millennium Falcon for the first time on set and it's it's just really cool to watch um and doesn't really spoil much I don't think um but let's get into the news um War for the Planet of the Apes when I was on set they they, they told me that Jason Clark's character Malcolm from Dawn of the Planet of the Apes would get a shout out that we would learn the fate of that character in the movie we didn't end up learning the fate of the character in the movie because it ended up on the cutting room floor. HT, you wrote the story for Slash Film. What do we know? Yeah, so it was very curious during War for the Planet of the Apes when there is no mention at all of Jason Clark's character Malcolm and his family who were the uh, group of humans who befriended Caesar and who were saved by him at the end of Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Um, and you would have assumed that they being the sole sort of good humans that Caesar knows who are still alive, that they would show up or at least be mentioned in war, but there was no such thing. So in um, the deleted scene for War for the Planet of the Apes, it's revealed that um, they had a quite a tragic fate. Um, we only get mention of Malcolm's fate, but it's assumed that his family was played by Carrie Russell and... Um, uh, uh, Cody, Cody Smith McPhee. Yeah. Yes. Cody Smith McPhee uh, also met the same fate. So this was in a scene um, with 
uh, Woody Harrelson's the colonel and Caesar when he's in the cage uh, at the military camp. So uh, Woody Harrelson reveals that, or the colonel reveals that um, he met Malcolm and that Malcolm pled with him to uh, make peace with Caesar and his tribe of apes and uh, to um, meet with him. And uh, the colonel said that he thought he was crazy. So he ended up just shooting Malcolm. So it's a it's a very sad and bitter and kind of anticlimactic fate for Malcolm off screen at that. So it really adds to Caesar's just tragic um, journey as more of and more of his friends suffer and fall because of him. And it also emphasizes the colonel's cruelty, which uh, I, we have a lot of during the film. So I think I, that's one of the reasons why we see it cut. For sure. And I, I think it's fair to say that the human characters in these movies are kind of playing second fiddle to the apes. I mean, it is about the apes. It's not about the humans as much as it is the humanity inside the apes. Um, it's actually interesting that they, they did have that callback to James Franco's character in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Uh, uh, his character, if I remember, also there was a deleted scene in Rise uh, of the Planet of the Apes uh where James Franco in the ending battle on the Golden Gate Bridge died. Um, and they cut that out because it just wasn't working. Uh, so if you see, if, if you can find that movie on Blu-ray or VOD, you can see another moment cut from this franchise uh, showing the fate of one of these human characters. Um, but moving on, uh, Drew Goddard, uh, is a filmmaker and writer that we love. So we're always following him. We always want to uh, see what he's up to. He has signed on to make an adaptation of this children fantasy book. Chris, you wrote it up for Slash Home. What do we know? Right. So uh, Drew Goddard, who, you know, he, he wrote The Martian and uh, Cabin in the Woods, and he's written for uh, Daredevil on Netflix. He will be adapting, uh, the book is called Nevermore, The Trials of Morrigan Crow, uh, and it's a children's fantasy book by Jessica Townsend. It's not out yet. It comes out uh, on Halloween, actually, October 31st, 2017. And there's, I mean, there's a lengthy synopsis, which I won't read, but uh, basically it's about a cursed girl who escapes death and finds herself in a magical world. And they describe it as being for fans of the Harry Potter series. Um, so uh, Drugenard's writing this film, which I'm assuming like the books is, is going to be planned as the first in a series. Um, it's interesting because there hasn't been a, uh, a young adult uh, film series in a while. I feel like the last one left right now is I guess Maze Runner. I actually thought that was going to be it. Like once that wrapped up, that was going to be it for a while, but apparently they're, they're starting up again with this one. It could very well be a cover of a Harry Potter book. It, it looks as colorful. The, the the font is almost Harry Potter esque. Um, it looks like they're you know searching for this next Harry Potter like uh, franchise. But it seems like all the studios have been doing that. HT, why have why has Hollywood not been able to find the next Harry Potter? Well, I think it's precisely because the uh, Hunger Games YA genre is starting to die down. So Hollywood is starting to look for the next uh, young adult uh, 
children's fan- franchise that they can latch on to. And, you know, the Harry Potter trend actually never really took off, like that sort of young fantasy trend. After Harry Potter, there were some attempts with um, Aragon and other such, I think, Inkheart at some point, uh, the Golden Compass, but those never really took off. And instead we have like the YA dystopian genre. Um, so, yeah, this one seems like a sort of new wave of fantasy-oriented ones. Uh, there's an Artemis Fowl one coming up soon, so that's exciting. Um, I don't really know why precisely we're going back to fantasy. I wonder if it's the Neil Gaiman sort of TV renaissance we're starting to see with, like, American Gods and um, Good Omens, but I feel like just Hollywood is starting to look for whatever next they can franchise. Maybe it's the return of Fantastic Beasts, too, so they want to have something that they can compete with and it's weird too and i know this isn't a new thing but uh hollywood is you know optioning these books before they're even on shelves it used to be that you know hollywood is searching for these things that were successful in other mediums to bring them to the big screen because if if they were successful as a book people would go and pay money to see them on the big screen but now it's just like let's option anything that we can option (laughs) i don't know It, it just seems um it, it it seems to kind of defeat the purpose. Why not, why not just make an original movie? Uh, why option this book that we don't even know if people are going to like? Um, but I guess, you know, the studio has that development money and, uh, you know, an idea that you're buying is better than, a, you know, an unknown quantity, which is, you know, an original pitch from someone who comes in your office. <laughs> but um, who knows? Uh, Thor Ragnarok is gearing up to come out uh i think next week um the box office tracking the the initial box office tracking is saying that this is going to be a huge success ht how much money is thor gonna make so according to variety thor ragnarok is tracking for a a 100 million plus opening in domestic markets, uh, which would make it the most successful opening for all the Thor movies, uh, of which Thor, the original one directed by Kenneth Branagh, opened to only 65.7 million, while Thor The Dark World opened to 85.7 million. So this is already miles ahead of those two. Um, This doesn't make it one of, this makes it sort of like the more middle to high success for Marvel films because the Thor films have always been kind of on the lower end of the box office spectrum compared to the other films like Iron Man or Captain America. Um, so this is a uh, this is exciting. It, it bodes well for Thor, which is getting a lot of uh, critical acclaim right now and a lot of good buzz. So I think that the the buzz is really helping out for that, as well as the um, exciting trailers and like the more lighter comedic tone that Taika Waititi is bringing to this film. And I, I think I, I saw that it was the the highest rated movie of a big release on Rotten Tomatoes release this year thus far. So this year, wow! Uh, for for a big, uh, I think a wide release. I could be wrong, but I saw the producer tweet that out. So I did, I did not go to fact check that. Um, but the, um, <laughs> Louis, the producer, tweeted that out. Um, uh, also in the news, uh, talking about adaptations, bringing movies, uh, bringing things to the big screen from other mediums, uh, Dora the Explorer is going to be getting a live action <laughs> movie, yeah, from Michael Bay? And it, it, it gets even crazier, not just Michael Bay as a producer, but Nicholas or Nick Stoller, who is the guy that brought us, what, the Muppets and... 
a, a bunch of like the Judd Apatow like comedy films, right? Yeah, he directed uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall. So, so Chris, you wrote this up for the site. This, this, this sounds almost like an Onion kind of thing. It, uh, honestly, like I think College Humor made a trailer many years ago of a door the explorer live action movie in the style of michael bay it, it was that much of a joke that this has been a joke so t- tell us what what is going on right so uh there's been plans for a live action door the explorer movie kicking around for uh, since at least 2015 and uh but the 2015 version never got off the ground but now apparently it's it's back it's back on the. Uh, it's back at, at work, and Michael Bay's Platinum Dooms will produce, with Nick Stoller set to direct. Uh, it said there's not a lot of details about what the, the film's going to be, but instead of being a seven year old girl as Dora was on, on the the Nickelodeon cartoon, she's now going to be a teenager who moves to the city. So I don't know. I I can't honestly tell if this is going to be like tongue in cheek. I mean, the presence of uh, Nick Stoller directing it, like, you know, he directed uh, the, the Forgetting Sarah Marshall and Neighbors, and he wrote the Muppets movie. It sort of suggests that they're making something that's sort of like, I don't know, like the Brady Bunch movie, where it was like adapting something while making fun of it, but I really don't know. And then, you know, the Michael Bay element just makes it even weirder. Like, is this going to be filled with Bayhem? I don't know. We'll, we'll find out. Yeah, and Michael Bay's company, Platinum Dunes, they've been making a lot of horror remakes, like the Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, the Ouija movie, which originally was supposed to be this big, epic uh, adventure movie. So, uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm very curious to see what this is going to be just based on Nick Stoller's involvement, uh, because I, I have been a fan of a, a lot of the stuff he's done thus far. Although uh, Michael Bay's name involvement on this is very uh, curious. Like, honestly, when we when we posted the story, we, we got a bunch of tweets as a response uh, thinking that we, we were making it that it was a joke, that we were joking. Our, our, our headline was a joke. Um, it, it read like that much of like an onion type story. Um, so I'd be curious to see what happens with this. Um Logan was probably one of the most critically acclaimed uh, comic book movies of all time. Uh, it's kind of the end of Wolverine's story, but that doesn't mean that we won't get more. Uh, it seems like a spinoff is in the works. HT, what do we know? Yeah, so this might be the end of an era for one Wolverine, but it might be the beginning for another. Uh, so there's um, nothing official in the works. I want to first say that it's that... James Mangold, who directed Logan, is currently working on a script for a X-23 spinoff, which is um, the other name for Laura's character, who is the clone of Hugh Jackman's Wolverine. Laura's played by Daphne Keene in the Logan film. And um, so he is working on this script, and um, he said that the idea for this is kind of buoyed by the um, success of Wonder Woman. So I'm going to read his quote here. Patty Jenkins' success with Wonder Woman only solidifies more for studios that there's less to fear with the female protagonist. The more that keeps hitting home, that ends up giving me more space turning around and going, well, here we are with the female protagonist. That's incredible. And what are we going to do with her? And that's where we are with the Laura script right now, dreaming. So he is currently working on that script, and um, the producer for for Logan um, is also uh, – 
Hutch Parker is also um, encouraging of that fact. So this would be incredibly exciting um, for the X-Men universe, which is continually branching out to be one of the most interesting and creative superhero universes, despite the main movies being incredibly convoluted, because they are (laughs) allowing for this sort of genre experimentation, like we've seen with Logan, with the the Western, um, with the upcoming New Mutants, with um, horror, and with Legion doing whatever it is. So, um, yeah, this is... Im- this is a script that is poss- that is in the works with um, that Ma- James Magold is hoping to bring forward, and that um, would be really exciting to see. And, and you mentioned Wonder Woman, and we we talked about before, you know, what box office means. Like you see the success of Wonder Woman, you see the success of uh, Star Wars, The Force Awakens, you see the success of the Hunger Games movies. And now you see, you know, in, in, on this podcast alone, we talked about Nevermore, which has a female lead. We, we talked about Dora the Explorer, which is a female lead. <laughs> and uh, this Logan spinoff, which is a female lead. That just goes to show you that, like, you know, Hollywood is just trying to follow the trends. And uh, hopefully this female lead thing isn't a trend, but uh, just becomes more of the norm. Uh, what, what do you think about that, HT? Yeah, I'm all down. I'm completely down for that because I think that the more uh, Hollywood executives follow this trend of female protagonists or protagonists that usually don't have um, sort of that platform uh, of a superhero genre or like a blockbuster genre, then we're seeing more types of um, characters who are women. So we aren't going to see just, you know, carbon copies of Diana Themyscira or Captain Marvel. We'll see uh, more diversity and more variety within our female protagonists or within our protagonists of color. So I'm very happy about this trend and about the success of Wonder Woman um, opening the doors for more films like this. I, I just hope that, um, you know, having a female protagonist is not uh, ensuring a, a profitable movie. And I, I just hope that we don't have a bunch of things like that new Ghostbusters movie where it's it's kind of this failure and it gets blamed upon uh, mm-hmm. the you know, an oversaturated market of female protagonist movies, because that would be sad. Um, but now that we're going to have Dora to the Explorer, <laughs> movie, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, She'll be the next bastion of female protagonists. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm wondering if that movie will pass the, uh, what do you call that? The, Bechle- the Bechtel test. Bechtel test. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, with Michael Bay producing. I mean, it would be pretty hard to have a female protagonist and not pass, but it's probably yeah, been but- done. There aren't any other female characters in Dora the Explorer. She has a map, um, <laughs> <laughs> and there's a Diego, and I think there's a Swiper, who's a not. I don't know what gender he is, but he's not either human. So, she so it, a, who knows? He's a monkey too. Oh, he's a monkey. Oh, there's a monkey. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that also goes to show you that Hollywood is chasing the diversity uh trend as well which i i hope yes. is not a trend it's, it's it's a good thing and move into the good direction uh but let's get to the mailbag uh every other day or so on the podcast we try to answer a question submitted by you the listeners you can send them to peter at slash film.com please mention your name and general geographic location in case we mention it on the air Mike F. from Victoria, British Columbia, Canada, writes in that he just watched Darren Aronofsky's The Wrestler and, quote, it can't be overstated how effective that movie is on every level. I was thinking about roles that 
were not only perfectly cast, but ones that you could almost not picture any other actor being able to pull off. And he bring, he goes on to name a couple of roles like Ryan Reynolds and Deadpool and uh, Jeff Bridges and Crazy Heart. Uh, but he says that Mickey Rourke as Randy the Ram Robinson in The Wrestler is like probably his number one. So he's curious if you guys could have any film roles you couldn't picture anyone else portraying. Um, you know, I'll start this off. First of all, I, I was thinking about this question, and it turns out uh, the more I thought about this, the more I realized that it, most of my answers fall into two different categories. Either it is an iconic character that I just can't imagine someone else playing, and that could take the role of, like, you know, uh, Robert Englund as Freddy Krueger. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Uh, and I wouldn't say that like no one else could play Freddy Krueger, but I just can't imagine someone else playing him because he has made that role so iconic. Um, but I, most of my picks, I think, fall into the other category, which are great character uh, performances that just like it's, it's almost impossible to imagine anybody else uh, in that role because of the performance and not the, you know the character being so iconic that they've created. Um, I'll start it off though with, uh, Daniel day Lewis as Daniel Plainview and there will be blood. Uh, I, I just can't imagine anybody else playing that character. I'm sure, you know, you could probably find someone and I, and I think Daniel day Lewis has a career of, of movies that could be on this list. Uh, but there will be blood. I think, uh, was the one that came to my mind when it, when I was thinking about this question, uh, Chris, you have another Daniel Day-Lewis movie on your list. Right. So my, my one of my picks would be Daniel Day-Lewis in Gangs of New York, which is another role that he's so good in that role um, where he plays Bill the Butcher. And I, can't, I honestly can't imagine anyone else playing that. It's too – like even, even if I like try and rack my brain to think of another actor to play that part, I can't even – begin to picture it he's just it's like he owns that role basically and that's one of those movies what the 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 role makes the movie i think um and actually that's probably the case of most of these i'm looking at this list most of these movies on here ht how about you so my first role isn't so much one that's so amazingly acted uh that it makes the movie but it's the fact that this actor and his sort of celebrity persona really greatly embodies that character and it kind of has this interesting dialogue between the the role itself and uh, the actor. So I'm talking about Ben Affleck in Gone Girl. Um, and I think this is one of the most interesting and most well cast uh, roles in recent memory because of just how punchable Ben Affleck's face is. <laughs> and um, uh, his character Nick in Gone Girl is definitely like this co- sort of um, uh, all-American boy next door who becomes the subject of this big tabloid um, scandal. And that really plays a lot into Ben Affleck's whole celebrity persona and kind of being in the limelight for so long as this uh, you know, Bostonian guy next door, um, but still a little smarmy and a little bit not trustworthy under the surface. And that I think is what's so interesting about his casting in Gone Girl, because it's this weird melding of celebrity and um, character. 
You know, this is the one name on any of these lists that I was unsure about, but you have convinced me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, 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 I actually 100% agree with you now that Ben Affleck and Gone Girl, I can't imagine anybody else. Um, <laughs> another name on my list, I think uh, one of the first that came to my mind is Heath Ledger and Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight. Um, I think that he elevates that movie from being a good movie into an incredible movie. Uh, I, you know, we have seen other actors play the Joker on the big screen, and he almost kind of like erases every part. Like it's, it's just uh, he he does it in a way in such a specific, elevated. Uh, textured way that I, I just can't um, take any of the other Jokers seriously um, and it's I'm not going to say that you know another person can't play the Joker but I couldn't imagine anybody else playing Christopher Nolan's Joker um, and that's why the, the, he's on my list uh, Chris how about you for a second pick uh, well just like uh, with the Joker, my pick, my next pick is someone who has been played by other actors before and played really well. But uh, this would be Mads Mikkelsen as Hannibal on the TV series Hannibal. Now, of course, Anthony Hopkins played that that same character to great acclaim. He won an Oscar for it. And before that, Brian Cox also played the character. And both those actors are phenomenal actors. They're both great. They both do a great job in that performance. But uh, I don't know if it's because Mads Mikkelsen had more time to play because he played over three seasons of TV. But after his performance, when I think of the character of Hannibal Lecter, he's the one I think of now. Like beforehand, it was always, you know, if I thought of Hannibal Lecter, I would think of Anthony Hopkins. But after watching Hannibal, whenever I imagine that character, I, I picture Mads Mikkelsen. Like recently, I actually reread the novel Silence of the Lambs. And as I was rereading it, in my head, I saw uh Mads Mikkelsen in the part and so I just think he the way he played that is so it's a very different performance than what Anthony Hopkins did it's very weird and like almost inhuman he plays him as sort of this like alien almost like inhabiting a human's body and I don't know just the way he took on that role it has just like solidified him in the part in my mind you know, it's interesting that we have two two uh, performances that are, are characters or roles that have been played by multiple actors. It makes me wonder if it would be a cool feature on the site to have, uh, you know, people go head to head of who is the best Joker, who is the best Hannibal, who is the best Bat. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I'm wondering if there's enough of that that we can make that a regular feature in an article on the site. Uh, oh, I definitely think there's enough of that because... I feel like, especially now, it's become more about the characters um, who are have become iconic than the actors sometimes. Oh, for so, sure. Like, yeah. yeah, definitely. Um, HT, what is your next pick? Um, so my next pick is uh, Sylvester Stallone as Rocky Balboa. Um, so this is a character that is kind of hand, goes hand in hand with his actor because Sylvester Stallone infused so many of his own autobiographical elements into Rocky. He wrote the script for the first Rocky and he wrote the script for many of the following Rockies as well. And um, it definitely feels like Rocky is just sort of this extension of Sylvester Stallone. And uh, it's like that working class, sort of not very well-spoken, sort of slurry uh, type of character. And um, 
yeah, it's it's something that he's it's a role that he's reprised again and again, and I think it definitely is a more true character to to Sylvester himself than uh, his other roles, even as a uh, Rambo or other such characters. So Rocky Balboa. You know, it's interesting that you picked that because when I was thinking about this, I was thinking like, oh, is there an Arnold role that like is iconic because he's an iconic guy, but he kind of just plays Arnold in most of his mm-hmm. films. And you're right. While Sylvester, Sylvester Stallone does kind of have similar roles, Rocky is very unique and I can't imagine anybody else ever playing that character on the big screen. Um, th- my last and final pick is the one pick that I think uh, kind of fits more into the iconic character realm than the, you know, amazing performance realm. Uh, not that it isn't an amazing performance, but Harrison Ford in the Star Wars trilogy as Han Solo, I, I just can't imagine anybody else playing that character. And it's funny I'm saying that because soon we're going to have uh, someone else playing that character on the big screen next year uh, in theaters. Um, and I'm, I'm very I'm very weary about that because I feel like uh, I feel like that character was so much something created by Ford on set, uh, and I'm I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that character can be written for someone else to portray. Um, so I'm a little weary of uh, Ron Ron Howard's movie that's coming out next year. Uh, Chris, what's your third and final pick? Uh, so yeah, my final pick would be Kate Blanchett as Carol in Carol. Um, I'm a huge Kate Blanchett fan in general. I, I honestly don't think she's ever delivered a bad performance, even in movies that haven't been great. She's always great in them, but I feel like that sort of role in Carol is like the epitome of like everything she does really well. I mean, just that movie in general, because Rooney Mara is also someone else in that film. I can't imagine anyone else playing her part either. And it's just, it's a very nuanced, studied performance. It's very, uh, I don't want to say calculated because that makes it sound like manipulative, but it, it's very, it's a very calculated performance. You know, I still have not seen that movie um, I, I need to see it, uh, so I can't agree or disagree with that one. HT, right. what, what, what is your final pick? Uh, my last pick is Charlize Theron as Furiosa in Mad Max Fury Road. Uh, so this is the role that launched the, the renaissance, uh, the second wave of her career, and is still ongoing, and it is deserved because she she is amazing as Furiosa. She's just has this balance of stoicism and of this raw vulnerability that completely steals the steals the scenes from uh, Tom Hardy's Mad Max, which is not hard because he himself is a very quiet character. Um, but Furiosa is um, the real main character of Mad Max Fury Road, and Charlie Theron sh- shoulders that burden uh, immensely well. And she's just she really. You, you know, there's a lot of um, sort of strong female characters that kind of can be placed in this sort of situation. But the way that Charlize plays Furiosa is just so unique. And I think that vulnerability that she brings to it, like, sort of like uh, this regal, noble vulnerability, is what sets Furiosa and her performance as Furiosa apart. Well said. Uh, the the one, one role I was tempted to put on this list, but I didn't, 
but I will mention it anyways, is Michael J. Fox as Marty McFly in my favorite film, Back <laughs> to the Future, uh, which did have someone else play that same part. Eric Stoltz played that uh, part before uh, Fox came in and replaced him. But the more and more I thought about it, the more I was like, maybe someone else could replace. It could have been Marty McFly. They wouldn't. They would have been different. But uh, I don't know. It, it's it's so hard, especially when something is your favorite film and you've seen it hundreds of times, to imagine it any other way. Um, and I feel like that's with Back to the Future for me. So, um, but I'm curious, you the listeners, what what are some of uh, your favorite performances that you can't imagine, you can't possibly imagine any other actor playing, uh, send it to us at peter at slashfilm.com, uh, peter at slashfilm.com. And uh, if uh, we get enough, we'll mention them on the air in the coming days. Um, HD, where can we find more of your work online? You can find me at slashfilm.com. I'm on Twitter at htranbui and I have a podcast, the Millennial Falcon Podcast on iTunes. How about you, Chris? Uh, I'm also at SlashFilm.com, and you can find me on Twitter at CEvangelista413. And you can find me at SlashFilm on Twitter. You can find all the stories we talked about today on SlashFilm.com. And uh, you can find this podcast published every weekday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, and on the site. Um, And uh, please go to iTunes. Give us a rating. Give us a review. Spread the word. Tell your friends. Uh, We can always use more listeners. And uh, we will talk to you tomorrow.